0: Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. Today's special guest on Core Principles is the Western Region Advancement Director for Sunrise Children's Services, Jack Henshaw. How are you, buddy?
0: I'm doing well. Clay, doing very well. Thank you for asking. Glad to be with you today.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a case study that you researched and documented that you call Philanthropic Giving is Christian Stewardship. But before we get into that topic, I want to ask you to share with our listeners some about Jack Henshaw, the man. You've got a diverse background of experience, so could you give us a little summary?
0: Yes, um, I think the humor is... um, I, I was a kid that grew up with speech impediment, and uh, of course, uh, you know, later on, I would find myself uh, using my mouth in most of the roles that I've fulfilled in, as far as my career. I've been in sales, but I've also worked in ministry. I've been a pastor uh, with uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention-affiliated churches, and currently I work for Sunrise as a development officer. Uh, we call, call my role a regional advancement director, and I get to see the best of what's going on in churches as well as the faith community as a whole here in West Kentucky. And I get to engage with different leaders um, in the business space as well as in the church space. And uh, of course, again, here I am, I'm using my mouth when I talk to them, just conveying the, the work that we're doing at Sunrise, which uh, for those who are not familiar with us, uh, we take care of child welfare. We do foster care services. Uh, we've been involved With Foster to Adopt, we have a program called Independent Living for kids who, when they age out of the foster care system, we continue to work with them to get them through trade school or through college. And then we also have some residential treatment facilities. We have one in Danville where we actually have three dormitories of young boys um, of different ages up to 18. And we work with them there to get them to a place where they're healthy and ready to go into loving and caring homes. So uh, I, I'm very privileged. I get to see some really good things, and I'm just a very privileged uh, individual as far as getting to see the good work that that many people in the faith community are doing here in West Kentucky.
1: Well, here in that diverse background, you mentioned you're kind of a jack of all trades. I <laughs> recognize that's the worst yes. pun in the history of puns, but there you have it. All right, yes. so your position, yes. <laughs> your position with Sunrise. Children's services is about advancement and not about policy, but your organization has been in the news lately as actually the last episode of this program highlighted. Uh, I spoke with Kentucky Baptist Convention Communications Director Brandon Porter, and he and I discussed uh, this issue, which had been the renewal of the Sunrise contract with the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Is there any update on that as we approach the end of the fiscal year?
0: Right now, it is, as Brandon shared with you, I listened to that podcast last week and there has not been any new developments. If you have been following the news from the governor or from Sunrise or Kentucky Badass Convention, there has been some dialogue. But as to the inner workings of that, I'm not sure if there's been anything newly developed. Uh, However, I would say that um, I truly believe that that many good things are happening and I'm eager to see that resolved quickly.
1: Amen, me too. It's an important mission that you guys provide in the Commonwealth, and I hope that uh, the stumbling block will be removed and that contract can be signed by both parties uh, as it has been in prior years. Well, you've written a great short thesis on stewardship, and that's our topic for today. And you began it by highlighting what you call the most descriptive picture of stewardship that you say is the parable of the talents that Jesus told. So I wanted to ask you to further explain that contention. But as a preface, I'd like to clarify a couple of terms. What is the difference, Jack, between ownership and stewardship?
0: Thanks for asking, Clay. And in order to clarify that, I think it's important to first begin with the whole context of of this discussion is through what's called a Christian worldview. And if the listener is not familiar with what a Christian worldview is, they can go to focusonthefamily.org and they actually have some articles on there explaining it. But the short version is what it means is that we look at even the discussion here of stewardship and philanthropic giving through the lens of scripture. And that brings us to the parable of the talents versus mastery calls three servants together and he gives them each the same amount of talents. And of course, if you read it, Two of the servants take what they're given, they go and they invest it, they put it to work, they multiply what's given to them, and when the master returns, he, he's very uh, excited about what they've done, he's very approving, this was just obviously his expectation of their behavior, but then there's a third servant who just took what he had, and he just hid it, and he didn't do anything with it, and in that, the master is very disapproving, and he's very clear that this was not his expectation. And I think that's where I, you know, I think that's why it's so important for us to talk about when we do philanthropic giving as Christians, and and we talk about Christian stewardship is there's this expectation that we've been giving something. And I think that's where I come to to the point of there is a difference between ownership and stewardship. Ownership, you have the right to do whatever you want with it. However, stewardship implies that you get the privilege of enjoying something. You get the privilege of using something. But you don't have a right to neglect it. And that's where the parable of the talents comes come in, because what we believe as Christians is that everything that we have in our life really is not ours, but it's been given to us by our master, which is our, our Heavenly Father, our, our Lord Jesus. And these things have been given to us, and we are expected of God to do something with them. And we all have different talents, and it's not just financial means sometimes it's those personal talents, those abilities that we have. What God wants us to do is He wants us to use these things to point people back towards God.
1: Yes. So that's that's a great summary, Jack. Such a great picture of stewardship that we can follow. Do we all just naturally tend to do like the two that invest our resources? Or if not, how do we push ourselves in that direction if it's not our nature?
0: I think it really comes back to this. It, you know, what's your worldview personally? And and that's going to really influence your perspective on giving. And for those who are Christians, our value system tells us that God's given us some abilities, some talents, whether it be influence uh, through relationships, financial means, he's given those things to us and they're not ours to keep. We don't get to take them with us. and But they are ours to invest, to do something with. And I think the reality is today, you know, I think we live in a culture today where I think everyone's keenly aware there's a lot of tension today. There's a lot of tension about how does faith, uh, where does faith fit into the culture today? And I think whenever I look at Christian stewardship and I look at the parable of the talents, I think it's very clear to us. Our faith fits in into the town square because we are called to come and invest what we have in the communities around us to make them better, to point them towards God. And I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for us.
1: So when we serve others, then we are glorifying God. And that's a great, that's a great picture. Thank you, Jack. So now there's a couple of other terms, you know, I'm all about words, meaning what they mean that Mm -hmm. you uh, highlight. And we sometimes, I sometimes use these interchangeably, but you point out that they're different. Would you contrast for us charity and philanthropic giving?
0: Clay, that's a terrific question. I think there's a, definitive line between those two that i think we can easily miss you know charity is really a mode of response and i think this is very particularly uh, something that we want to pay attention to in america i was reading something one day it says 75 percent of americans are extroverts <laughs> and so what that means is that they learn outside themselves so we're naturally a very emotive culture and for example i was listening to um to a report by USA Giving, and they said actually giving was up by 5% last year across America. And household giving actually increased by uh, 2%, which was rather significant. And the reason why it increased is because not necessarily that people had more resources, but because, again, that emotive response to want to help people. And so you saw what I define charity as, which is a emotive immediate response. You know, You see a need, you see a hurricane, and you immediately – reach in your pocket or you immediately go to the place and you begin to help people. And and charity is a wonderful thing. But philanthropic giving is really slowing down and thinking about uh, long term. You know, how how can I do two things in my philanthropic giving? How can I be as effective as possible? And how can I do it in a sustainable way?
1: Now, you specifically highlight uh, people of Christian faith and your case study. And you introduce that uh, sort of focus area with what I think is a particularly Jack Henshaw way to state something. I'm going to quote from your writing. Okay, God is still setting bushes on fire and philanthropic giving continues to divinely burn in the hearts of Christians. So why, Jack, is philanthropic giving particularly important for Christians among all people at large?
0: Well, I think, again, it goes back to the parable. I think in the Christian worldview, if we look through the parable of the talents then we see where two of these servants literally took what they had and they thought about how can I effectively invest this in a way that is going to bring a greater return, sustainability. And what we saw was we saw them do that. And I think today as Christians, when we look around, I think we look at foundations, we look at things. I think it's a great way to take our giving now that we're doing and to put it to work to take care of needs now, but also to continue to effectively meet needs and sustain that giving over time. For example, um, there is something called the Paxton Challenge here in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, It's through the community foundation here. It's amazing to me how many people have jumped on board but for giving to organizations that have gotten involved with the Paxson Challenge because what the Paxson Challenge is is a matching challenge. You go out, you share with them about your mission, your organization, and through the Paxson Challenge, they will actually match up to $10,000 in giving to your organization in a certain time period. And what this does is it allows those organizations to raise funds that they need for right now, but also, too, they get matched on funds that are going to go into an endowment for them that will continue to grow over time And as it grows over time, that's going to be funds that are going to come through returns that are going to help them to meet increased needs in the years ahead. And that's a matter of sustainability.
1: Yes. Now, another great statement that I loved in your uh, writing was freedom of religion is best expressed through giving. Now, as an American… And as a Christian, I'm really thankful for freedom of religion, of course. Yes. Would you explain, Jack, why giving is such a vital expression of that particular liberty?
0: I think the first thing I want to emphasize here is giving when giving is done for the sake of others, it's probably one of the most compassionate acts that anyone can engage in that touches their community. And so I think as we go into a culture today that where you Literally, we are constantly discussing how this faith play out in the town square. I think it's important for us to realize as Christians, we're, we, we shouldn't feel like we should have to hide our faith. Um, in fact, we should be motivated to share our faith. And one of the best ways to, to open doors for sharing the gospel is through giving, through meeting needs. Because when you help feed someone or you clothe them as the Bible speaks about it, you don't just meet an immediate need, but you open their hearts to the truth of what our faith is about in Jesus. And so I think philanthropic giving is really a call to all Christians to to basically engage in a pathway that's going to keep the gospel open to our local communities. Because, you know, historically speaking, we are a country of faith. Uh, it's enshrined in our Constitution that that we have our, our faith is not something that we just exercise at church and we leave at the church doors. It's something that goes with us outside those doors. It, it permeates itself into every corner of our life. And so therefore, it shouldn't permeate itself into our giving. And as Christians, when we give, you know, I think it's a great way to say, hey, I give, but I give because of what Christ gave me. I think it's really just an expression of gratitude to our Lord Jesus, as well as an encouragement to the community around us. Hey, we we know that you were who created you. (laughs) We know why he created you. And we we desire for you to know him as well. And that's why we care about you. And so I think Christians, you know, I think our giving is going to be one of those things that it's needed. I think we need to continue to do it. It's all throughout the scriptures, and I think you see one example after another all throughout the scriptures of a, of the early church beginning in the book of Acts, doing giving, and and how that led to a church growing, and it led to many good things happening. And so I think a lot of times when I hear Christians too talking and kind of fretfully about the future of things. I always stop and I always want to stop and encourage them and say, hey, let's let's remember when the early church started out, it started out in a culture that was very hostile to it. <laughs> and it won that culture over by the way they loved and took care of each other, even those who weren't part of their community.
1: Well, now, shifting gears just a little bit, in your paper on philanthropic giving, you, you ask and then, of course, you answer a really important question that I have uh, some personal thoughts about as well. You asked, how should the effectiveness of nonprofits that are the recipients of a lot of our giving. How should their effectiveness be measured? Now, as my role uh, in a grant-making foundation, I have specific thoughts about how to measure the effectiveness of these nonprofits. But Jack Henshaw, what is your answer to that question? How should we measure the effectiveness of nonprofits that we might want to support?
0: Well, I think you want to look at the mission. You know, you want to look at the mission. And I think you want to look at how effective are they in meeting that mission. If I was a donor and I always talk about donor centric behaviors, because again, from a Christian worldview, we believe that God lays things on people's hearts. That's a term we use. In other words, God leads people and they're giving. Uh, we want to be donor centric. If I'm talking to donors, a lot of times I'll ask them, well, what is it you're looking for? And, you know, a lot of times that's whenever you begin to match them up with the mission and I think for most donors, what we're really looking for, in fact, I know we're looking for, and even the data supports it, is we're looking for who's doing the mission, but who can continue to do the mission, the sustainability, who's building those endowments, who's growing that capacity to continue on no matter what happens down the road. Cause as we all know, none of us anticipated, uh, anticipated COVID-19 and that literally stopped the economy. And so I think what, we have got to do is talk about sustainability just as much as as much as we talk about effectiveness in our missions. What do you think, Clay?
1: Well, for me, I agree with what you've said, and I also look at what the organization has said that they are intending to do, and that they have their own mm-hmm. metrics uh, that say, "Okay, we want to to do this." I always use uh, an easy example of an organization we've supported: the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association they have a particular metric of how many people make first time decisions to give their life to Christ. Well that one mm-hmm. is pretty cut and dry. But that's that's a measurement that they use to say, are we effectively sharing the gospel message? If we are, people will respond. That's the effectiveness. And different organizations, for example, Sunrise, for one of your metrics, how many youth in care successfully transition into, you know, a productive lifestyle, uh, as they're aging out or getting out of your programs, yes. that's a metric we can all understand.
0: Yes, you're absolutely right. Cause for example, our independent living program, the metric that always stands out to me is the problems that kids encounter and, and they are so numerous, but you know, the, the problems that kids encounter whenever they come out of care, if they don't have a support system. And so, you know, there's, there's many reasons to get involved in this. You know, I was kind of, I kind of always want to keep it simple as well. But let me take it a little bit deeper on this, too. I think, too, as you watch people begin to wake up, uh, one of the things that really spurred that on was nine eleven. you know, which was a very tragic day for America. However, we saw a very um, just true to who we are as a culture. People came together, they cared for each other, and it led to a lot of nonprofits being formed, a lot of nonprofits even intensifying their mission. So there was a lot of giving going on during that time. And because of a significant amount of money that was given during that time, there was also a lot of discussion that followed up in the years after that about what is a nonprofit? How should a nonprofit operate? And I think what you're going to continue to see, too, is on their level, I think you're going to start to see nonprofits, too, uh, be gauged in ways that some for-profits are. For example, if you ever look at a K-10 form for a for-profit company, now they also have impact reports for employee satisfaction. You know, they, they look at how satisfied our employees are because they're looking for, are these employees happy in what we are doing? Because if they're happy in what they're doing, they're going to probably be happy to do the mission, right? And so I think you're going to watch some continual changes in expectations of givers to nonprofits. I think the bars being raised, which is a great thing. I think you're seeing nonprofit leadership really move into uh, discussing how effective are you in building a strong organization because it is shown that organizations that are strong internally can resist external pressures. Like if you find yourself in a situation, for example, where maybe your, your structure of how you do services might have to change due because of government relations, for example, Uh, you can oftentimes turn those around into win-win opportunities if you have a strong internal culture. So I think a lot of your donors are starting to really look at that and and, and here's where I get that from, too. In my dissertation, I talk a lot about who do you want to look at when it comes to philanthropic giving in this country to get a feel for things? And, of course, I talk about higher education. Higher education for the last 40 years has gotten a significant cut of the pie when it comes to philanthropic giving in this country. And for the last 30 years, counting the adjustments for inflation, um, you have seen on average about 3.6% increase in giving every year. And so what that tells you is a lot of these giving sources, these individuals, these foundations that have individuals working with them, they are getting very intentional at looking at the internal workings of those nonprofits. That's that's the reason why I think for nonprofit leaders, it's so important to constantly be training, to developing your organization. It, it doesn't matter if it's just two people or if it's 200, because, you know, that's going to have a – all those behaviors are going to communicate a lot of uh, – just a lot of value to potential donors.
1: Well, now, as we wrap up, Jack, your case study focused on particularly uh, Community Foundation down in Louisiana, but they're all over the place. We have them in Kentucky. You mentioned the West Kentucky Community Foundation as well. Uh, The last thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, are there particular ways that community foundations benefit Christians in their stewardship?
0: Yes, there are. There are several ways. And I would say probably the most significant one is, again, it goes back to a term I used earlier, very donor-centric. I was talking about with what's going on with these uh, higher education gifts. A lot of them are going through uh, foundations now. And the reason why is because they understand that foundations, they can take those gifts and oftentimes from the form of a grant, as you know how that process works. And when they do that, they they can actually influence the work that's being done to make sure it stays mission centric. And I think that's important to a lot of donors because they realize that over over time in this country, about every 30 years or so, you'll see the federal government will pump money into a particular problem. And then about 30 years later, they go, okay, we have enough NGOs, non-government organizations, these nonprofits are in place. So we're going to now move the money. And what happens is if nonprofits do not have their own, revenue streams or own endowments in place, then what you'll see is a lot of times nonprofits will either try to chase those government dollars, or you'll see them, they'll try to develop revenue streams that weren't in place to begin with. So I think for Christian givers, I think it's really important that they understand that these foundations can actually work with them to identify the sources they want to give to, but both organizations are on mission. They can also help them get set up with things like the donor advised funds, which Just simply put as a fund that you put in there, you can get your terrible um, tax contribution credit out of that, but you do not have to give out of it. You just have to make sure it's it's marked for a terrible gift. And you can let that build up over a period of time, which some people did during COVID. There was probably some people that had gifts that built, you know, they were probably making uh, contributions to a donor advised fund probably every year for the last eight, 10 years. and, And COVID came up, and now they had this money that had compounded. And they chose to give that money through different needs in the community. And so I think for Christians, I think it's a great way to open the door in their community to meet specific needs. And I think, too, it's also a great way, again, to to really open up a dialogue to why do they give because of what Christ given to them.
1: Well, that's a that's a great summary. And I appreciate you, Jack Uh, Kinshaw. You're always great. To talk with uh, your wise man and a good friend. Also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> so you always keep me entertained. But anyway, uh, thank you so much and God bless you.
0: Thank you, Clay. Glad to be on with you today. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July.